0: Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly Writers Club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the Classes tab. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Andrea Askowitz. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal
1: stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. Oh my God, we're going to talk about that later in the show. Writing class is where we tell the truth. It's going to come up. Remember this. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class. And we want to bring you in. There really is no place in the world like writing class. So we have so much to talk about in this episode. And this episode is really about writing like you speak. And I want to tell you that I've been at this for what, 20 something years. And I really, I think I write like I speak. And then I read something that I've written. And then I tell the story about the thing that I ha- that happened. And I, I, I find that I'm not writing the way I speak. And I, I want to work on that for all you listeners out there. I created a solo show called Attention Horror Love Story, and I've been working on delivery. And it's about writing and speaking and writing it like I speak. I don't know. It's just it's fucking hard. It really is.
0: Well, I also think it's because we we edit a lot. You edit, you edit, you edit, and then you send it to me to edit, then you take it to class to edit. And it loses parts of your personality when it's over-edited sometimes because you're trying to keep it clean and you're trying to whittle it down to a certain number of words and make sure it has everything. And sometimes it does lose the voice.
1: Yeah. So maybe I over-edit and maybe I over And you've said this many times on the podcast that I suck the lifeblood out of my own stories and other people's and yours. The story that we bring you today by Ancia Rowan. We barely edited it, edited it at all. And her voice comes through so adorably. Um, And and her story is about social anxiety, which is something else we're going to talk about.
0: There's a difference between bad grammar and bad writing and writing like you speak. We have a call out for submissions and some of them just have comma splice after comma splice. And I know it's not a big deal, especially when it's spoken out loud, but it just bothers me to get things that are poorly written. And I'm, you, people make mistakes. I'm not saying one comma splice or- What's a comma splice? It's like where you would say, I went to the store and bought eggs. Now, if you're going to put a comma after store and say, that's incorrect. If you want to say, I went to the store and I bought eggs and you want to have a comma, that's fine. Is that true? Yes, it's true. That's a comma splice. So if you say, I went to the store and bought eggs, no comma, I am so impressed right now with your knowledge of grammar. Wow. And I'll tell you why. It's because I had to write an essay when I was like getting into college or something like that. And it had a comma splice and I never got into that college. I wanted to go to University of Texas, like nobody's business. And I'm wondering, I've wondered all my life if I, they were like, this narrator has a comma splice. She's out. She's an idiot. A com- basically a one comma
1: has like changed yeah. the trajectory of your entire life.
0: Yeah, it probably didn't, but it did, you know, it's always in my head. you didn't go to yeah. Texas. You never know what's going to tweak your editors. So when you submit something, don't be sending things with errors. I get them all the time. And I, I mean, if it's a really good story, sometimes I overlook it and I just fix them, but I don't like to, and most people will not.
1: Grammar really does help in terms of how you lay out a story and then how you read it out loud. Grammar should help.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've um, absolutely beat into me a couple things. A, starting with an ing word. If you're going to do that, don't do it often. Oh, I hate it. Starting a sentence. See, that bugs you
1: because no one speaks like that it, unless you're a yoga teacher. Coming to a seated position. <laughs> what the hell? Honestly, when I'm in yoga and I hear that, coming to a seated position, coming to standing, like what?
0: And the other thing is when people say, I was unhappy with it, you know, she went here and you're like, who is she? What is it? So using pronouns too much and not being descriptive because when I'm reading it, I I have to like go scroll back to be like, wait, what? Who? Who are they talking about? And you don't want your, your readers to have to do that. So those are the things. You're the worst with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm terrible. You use pronouns all the time. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. Who? Why don't you slip someone's name in there? That's just makes it easier. No, it's true. And I think we do this for each other, but that's not what we're talking about today. That's not voice. That needs to be done correctly. In addition to being able to write like you speak. So
1: a few years ago, I was teaching a writing class at the Sanibel Island Writers Conference, which I hope comes back in November, 2021. But um, so there's a woman and she was probably, I don't know, early twenties. And she read out loud her story. And in my ears, she sounded like a valley girl. She said, um, a lot, like a lot. There were tons of run-ons, comma splices all over the place, but the way she sounded sounded really true and natural to the story and to who she was. And I can't even remember what the story was about, but it was about something that felt like young and whatever. And then I thought it was a great story. And there was a man in class, an older man, who got bent out of shape because he got pissed. He was like, young people today, they have to learn grammar. They have to like, he just, he went off. But I actually disagreed with him because I thought her story worked for her voice and for her story, even though it was probably filled with tons of grammatical mistakes
0: But if it was a good story, I probably would have taken it. When when somebody is saying something that I'm very interested in and they're saying it really well, they're bringing you into their world. And if their world is Valley Girl, then that vernacular really works.
1: And it works with our narrator today who happens to live in West Africa and she is British and she has a British accent and she is adorable and the words she uses are different. And so let's just hear it. Let's just go straight to her story. Let's do it. You'll hear Anthea Rowan's story, Shy Girl with 7 Vibrators, after the break.
0: Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the
2: detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, Matt at soundoff.network, Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we
0: work with at soundoff.network. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt, and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more.
1: We're back. This is Andrea Askowitz, and you are listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Anthea Rowan, shy girl with seven vibrators.
2: Sometimes I To say it out loud, I want to say, I own seven vibrators, you know, seven, seven confession. I only own that many because I'm a journalist and because the single intimate products company I approached with questions for a piece I was writing grew over enthusiastic in their response and kept sending me stuff dildos and lube and shit. I don't, of course, say that. I don't say any of that. I often don't say anything at all. My shyness ties my tongue so tightly that in the time and effort it takes to undo it, I've forgotten what I was going to say anyway. I hate being shy. It's called social anxiety now. Shy sounds better, a sort of sliding behind a mother's skirt that grows up as a Lady Diana-like demureness, smiling, blushing, sweet, except I don't have her legs. Social anxiety suggests something more clumsy, as if every outing is fraught. Mine aren't, not all of them. I'm fine with family, real friends. But beyond that, beyond that, my tongue gets knotted and, and this is the worst part, I begin to sweat. Not glow, like you would if you were shy, sweat, bucketfuls, so that the worry about what to wear to go out, which is already a big worry, so big that once when we got home to a room strewn with the contents of my wardrobe, my husband thought we'd been burgled. Is exacerbated by the worry of what to wear that won't show the sweat. The thinnest, whitest, lightest t shirts I have found are the answer that and a jacket, just in case. God, aren't you hot, people will ask. And they don't mean hot like you might have seven vibrators, they mean hot enough to sweat as I wilt beneath denim or leather or wool in 80 degrees. No, I lie as perspiration runs down my sides and pools at my waist. The problem with being shy apart from the sweating, of course, is that because you don't say much, anything, people think you're either stupid or boring or sulking. People have broached me at parties and spoken to me in the slow, loud tones you'd use for simpletons. My mother used to say to me when she dragged me to parties and then gave me a shove in the direction of people my own age, stop sulking. I'm not sulking, mum, I'm just not smiling. Well, smile then. I don't feel like smiling. Smile so you look inviting, then people might actually want to talk to you. My apparently sulky face, which my husband later rechristened my resting bitch face because he thinks he's down with the youth, morphed then as Rottweiler baring its teeth face instead, and by the end of the evening my cheeks hurt with the effort of smiling not sulking. And still nobody had come anywhere near me because now instead of looking like I was sulking, I looked as if I might bite their heads off. Smile and ask questions, my mum used to urge, when it was clear the smiling teeth-bearing on its own wasn't doing the trick. If you ask questions, people will talk to you, she said. You have to give it to her. She never gave up on me. But here's the thing. I'm so afraid of not having anybody to talk to at a party that once I've trapped some poor unsuspecting soul like a spider in her web, I won't let them go, even if I'm not interested in what they're telling me, and often I'm not because anything's better than standing on my own, wondering when is the earliest I can politely escape. The easiest questions are those posed to parents, preferably quite new parents. They're still basking in the afterbirth glow. They're sufficiently pleased with themselves, still naive enough to think they're the only ones clever enough to spawn offspring. Ask them about their children and you've got them safely ensnared for the evening. They can yak away to their heart's content. But sometimes I have to ask myself, what's worse, hanging about on my own or listening to this woman rabbit on about the paragon that her son-daughter clearly is? Trust me on this. If somebody asks you about your children, it's because they cannot think of a thing to say. My husband never, ever asks people about their children at parties, mostly because he always has lots to say. Children, he says, are interesting only to their parents and their parents' parents. He never talks about ours, and people rarely ask. My husband is my polar opposite on many levels, including, especially, socially. He says he was shy once. I don't believe him. Not my kind of shy. Even he looked a little horrified when I explained the sweat thing, when he watched me layer on antiperspirant before a particularly angst-causing evening. This, by the way, in case you're like me, is how you do it. You shower, towel dry, spray under your arms liberally, wait for it to dry, paste your pits with roll-on, wait for that to dry, and then spray again. I use the roll-on in the middle, partly because I feel guilty about the hole in the ozone layer that I'm helping shear wide open, but mainly because I hope that then I'll have all bases covered and covered again. I still sweat, hence the jacket. Not only is my husband more social than I, he's also the honey around which all the social bees and butterflies at parties gather and hover. I suspect people wonder what he's doing with the warflower in the corner who is nodding vigorously in response to the woman regaling her with tales of her son's hockey successes. What on earth do they talk about? He's so outgoing, so fun. She, so boring. Of course they don't actually say that, not to me. What they do say is, you're not at all alike. What on earth do you have in common? Where did you meet? And then I want to say, Well, it's a long story, but in a nutshell, in my past life, I was a sex worker. We met on a job. I suppose that's what we have in common. But I don't, of course. I don't say that. I mumble something about having met young, married young. Then I burble on about how we both like traveling. But by then, whoever's asking the questions has lost interest and, and this is the worst, they're gazing over my shoulder, casting about for somebody more interesting to talk to, like my husband, for example. I feel the sweat beginning to run. I need to ask a question quick, quick. What can I ask them to keep them here, looking interested as I feign interest? Too late, they've gone. Too late, I've thought of one. Do you own a vibrator? I could have, should have asked. I have seven. You listen to somebody who owns up to seven vibrators..
0: what a fucking hoot. This made me laugh the entire time. Now I'm listening to it again. It's making me laugh again. I mean, I just think she is like the funniest fucking person. I just loved her energy. I love the accent. We didn't hear it when we were reading on, on the page. So we weren't sure what her voice was like. So it was, you know, so refreshing when we actually heard the recording it was exciting it was exciting and new but her voice her funny
1: awesome voice came through on the page because we both immediately thought it was hilarious
0: and awesome and then when we heard it ah she really draws you in right away because she's so self-deprecating <laughs> she really just gets in there she just rags on herself the whole time um seven vibrators I mean that's uh, the best opening line ever. Who is not interested in that? I own seven vibrators. Vibrators. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And then she tells us how she really got them. Before we get into the writing of this whole thing, I just think the funniest thing is like I was somewhere recently. I don't think it was a party. Maybe I don't, I don't remember. But somebody goes, how are your kids? And I was like, oh, you think I'm boring. <laughs> you have nothing else to say to me. She was like, what? No, that woman's boring. If she's asking you about your kids. Oh, really? Oh, because they have nothing better to say than ask you. They don't know what else to do. She's trying to ensnare you. Oh, yeah, that probably was the case. Because I was like, really? I got a lot of shit to talk about. Believe me, I don't need to be talking about my kids. No, that woman was really socially awkward. She was the Anthea Rowan. She was like, what am I going to do to ensnare Allison? I'll ask her about her kids. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. So what'd you do? What'd you say? You told her? I mean, I was like, they're all fine. How about yours? (laughs) They're all fine. Let me tell you my real shit. Yeah, that's
1: you. That's what you do. right? Yeah. I want to talk about that later, though. I do first want to talk about um, her writing. I fell in love with her. Well, I fell in love with someone who owns Seven Vibrators. But when she started sweating, I'm like, okay, now I love her. Like when she's talking about it right from the beginning about how like she just sweats bucketfuls. And then I want to say burgled from now on. I know that was the best. Burgled. But we were burgled. So aren't you imagining her room, which is just like,
0: like there's clothes everywhere. I don't have to imagine. I just walk into my daughter's room. And it looks like she's been burgled. Yes, it does. (laughs) And they left everything behind.
1: Yeah. So I was so charmed by that word. Okay, then uh, when she talks about how she has to wear the jacket to hide the sweat and then someone's like, aren't you hot? And then she says, yeah, hot, but not like you might have seven vibrators. (laughs) That was good. She she had a few callbacks that I thought were well done.
0: Explain the callbacks for people who are like, what's a callback? Because that's
1: it's brilliant. So a callback is when a narrator sets something up at the beginning of the story and then brings it back. And she did it a few times here. She did it with the vibrators. So we know she has seven vibrators. And then when she's hot, she brings back the idea of the seven vibrators in a slightly different way. So she set up that her husband is a lot more social than she is. And then a callback happened when she was like, so then someone's looking past me, looking for someone more interesting to talk to, like my husband. So we already know as listeners that what she's talking about. So it's it feels so insider when a narrator does it. To me, I, I feel so like, oh, I already knew that. Oh, my God. Like, it makes me feel good because I recognize something. So it's just like a smart trick. Comics do it all the time. She did it. This woman is freaking funny. Yeah. Okay. So that's what a callback is. And that's what she did. So then she sets up that she's going to start asking people about their children. And she also, she talked to us. Trust me on this.
0: That was my favorite. I love that. She pulls me in. Trust me on this. And I was like, okay, yeah, I trust her.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If anyone's talking about their children, right? Yeah. Um, My husband never asks about anyone's children. That I loved. Okay, then she also, she did it, 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 there was a similar thing, like, well, let me explain how she does her deodorant, and then she does the three layers, and then she says, because I'm worried about the ozone, I'm helping to <laughs> shear wide open. <laughs> the hole in the ozone. That was such a brilliant line. Like, we get, we learn so much about her with that line. Oh, she did another cool thing with, um, she calls her, all the people, like, her husband is Honey and then she's a wallflower that was a pretty good kind of twist on i don't know like sort of almost a cliche idea but she changed it enough to make it really interesting well done okay here's the one thing i um i want to mention so when i first read this and read that she was a sex worker i was like fucking hell tell us more but then when we talked to her she's really not a sex worker
0: no, I was so disappointed. But it's so funny because she doesn't explain that she was joking, right? So when somebody puts that in a story, it's a little bit misleading to the to the reader because the reader cannot ask you, like, what do you mean a sex worker? So now we think she was a sex worker and actually met her husband there. Yeah, that's what I thought.
1: And then when I emailed her, like, hey, let's just bulk up this section for a second. (laughs) You know, I mean, the story is not about that. The story is about social anxiety. But what she's doing is she's fantasizing about what she would say. So in the fan in her fantasy world, just to make herself sound more interesting, she would say, oh, yeah, I yeah, we met because I'm a sex worker or I was a sex
0: worker and he was one of my clients. But I believed her. I know. So typically we would send this back and say, can you clarify this? And if this isn't what's going on here. You have to tell us what went on. Right. But because we wanted people to understand what like this kind of bomb or this kind of joke does to a story, we wanted to bring you the whole story as is and really discuss. And she said she was okay with it. We're like, we're giving you the option to either fix it or let us talk shit about you. And she said, yeah, "Yeah, talk shit about me. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, yeah, she's super cool.
1: So that's the only part of this story that I would have changed. I don't think she needed it really because she also, she did bring us back to the seven vibrators at the very end. So she wished she should have said, and that actually is true.
0: But you know what, what talking about the sex worker is, it shows us that she's funny. Like nobody's getting to see that because she's so, has so much social anxiety. And it taught me that like, don't judge somebody because they're quiet. They may be a really cool person. Just give them a chance to get comfortable. But she didn't need to make something up for the sake of this
1: story when we already had this great, interesting element that is true for her is that the seven vibrators. So she didn't really need to say "I we met as because I was a sex worker. She could have just cut that part and then wished that she brings up the seven vibrators. Like she has the seven vibrators line to pull out at parties at any time. That's true. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about about the right Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: there's one more thing that, that I love so much It's that. Because she is British, she brings in her British vernacular. And it was so much fun to hear, to be brought into her world and to really get that. If she had tried to cut all that out, then we would have missed it. We would have missed the life in her story. If she said, oh, this is an American publication, let me try to use their words. No, she did it great. Yeah, she did. I
1: feel we don't typically talk about someone's life or we shouldn't, but I want to talk about
0: my life and it's, um, well, just different <laughs> responses to social anxiety. Like hers is to clam up. Yours is to say too much. Oh yeah, exactly.
1: But what I was thinking about, how is she going to handle what's going to happen to her now? So like what's happening to me? Yeah, you're right. Is like, when I get socially anxious, I just like, do I have diarrhea? Like diarrhea at the mouth? Like, do I have that a little bit?
0: Well, we talked about it. Like what happens in class is we always tell the truth, right? we That's the whole point of the, this podcast is to really tell the truth. So in class, we've already gotten used to each other. We tell the truth. We tell these stories. We really let it rip. And then we do get feedback and sometimes we get crushed. But the point is you lay it out on the table because a story is only good if you're really bearing all. Right. So nothing in class is inappropriate. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing is
1: oversharing. Oh, and I, I do want to tell you, Allison, that I got the story. I landed it. And he's campus. Yeah. So I wrote a story about what happened to me last week. So last week I went to um, the Bagel Emporium to um, get some bagels. And I bumped into three women that I know from my kids, from Tashi, my daughter's elementary school. And they were like, how are you? I took it as a prompt, I guess. <laughs> so how are you? I was like, not great. And then I just went off on how bad things have been. I Sadly, I talked about my children. Oh,
0: I know. But there what's on your mind right now. It wasn't like, oh, my children are doing great. They're in Tufts and Harvard. You're you really when you talked about your children, you were it was like kind of a cry for help. (laughs)
1: yeah yeah it was and also these women they all three have children the same age as Tashi so they were like how are you and I was like uh Tashi like she she doesn't get out of her room like she's not eating barely anything like I have to literally hand her food to eat like that's why I'm here getting bagels like she quit school last year like she's so depressed Sebastian too like uh, like I just did that and then um why are you looking because I'm
0: picturing you walking into this like Dive of a restaurant. They were probably sitting outside in the parking lot, basically. And you, before you even walked in, they, they were sitting there. So you started talking to them. Then you actually had to see them again on your way out. I did. Yeah. And it was weird because I said all this and
1: then I was looking at them thinking, I knew there was a moment when I knew that I, something was wrong, like that I'd crossed some line or that I was either making them. I felt so uncomfortable. Like that's what happened. I felt oh my God, I overshared. So then I went inside and I, I I got my bagels and then I came outside and then I apologized for it and then kind of kept going. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. It was like, I'm really sorry. You got more than you asked for with that. How are you? And like, I'm just, I'm so, yeah, I'm a mess right now socially.
0: But then you got in your car and you remembered more stuff. You should have laid on them.
1: I know I was riding my bike. Right, right. And that's what I called you. Yeah. That's what I called you. And I was like, Allison, I'm fucking ruined. I cannot speak in public to like, I, I don't know what to do in social situations anymore because of writing class. I knew it was because of writing class because writing class has ruined me because in writing class, I would have said all that. And everybody would have been like
0: more, right. more, make it worse. Right, right. Well, you could make it worse. Cause I was like, aren't you about to go put your dog down? And you were like, I should have told him that. <laughs> it
1: was the day that beast died. Yeah. It was the morning that beast was. I know. And then I was like, Sheesh. if I had thought of it, I would have just been like, oh, you guys. Yeah, I'm killing my dog today. Bye. And they would have been like, yeah. OK, <laughs> bye. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as it was, one of them were like, she cut me off when I was about to talk about Tashi's summer camp situation. She was like, girl, stop. Ooh, you need a drink. <laughs> That's what I knew I'd overshared.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At breakfast at 9 a.m., you need a drink. That's when you know you're in trouble. So
1: I am a little bit worried about Anthea as she moves back into the world
0: as COVID. I'm not worried about her. She has a sense of humor. And when people share their stories like this, they are getting out what's inside. And the more they share it, the more they realize they have nothing to lose. And then the next time they're in that situation, they tell this funny joke. Because now they've written about it and they've gone, oh, I've worked it out in my head already. Let me just try it out. And I think you get less and less. I mean, I don't know shit about social anxiety, but although I remember being like, I don't want to go to that party. And it mainly stemmed from like, I- I'm really, I'm not happy with myself right now. I really don't want to show up here. I was drained already. I wasn't happy with, I mean, this was ages ago, but I still walk into places and I'm like, mm, I, ages ago. I don't well, yesterday. Yeah, no, but we all have that feeling sometimes like it's just not your people and you just have nothing to say and you don't want to talk about your kids all day. So it's like, mm. I know this is true that right now as like quarantine is lifting and people are
1: re-entering society in a social way, because I've read a ton of stories about it. A lot of people are social. We're out of practice. We're just so out of practice. And poor Anthea is like, she's always out of practice.
0: I was sitting at the Beehive at this really, you know, dive of a health food restaurant with my dad the other day at the the bar. And there was like shit all over the bar. And I was like crammed in trying to eat. And this guy is eating this like giant tuna sandwich, like overflowing, putting dressing on like all over it. But I could tell like, there were no napkins there near him, and they were near me, and I wanted to push one to him because he was kind of cute, and I was kind of staring at him. Oh, okay. He doesn't sound cute, but okay. Well, no, he was really cute, and I I could tell he was, like, the the waitress was flirting with him, and me and my mod hair. Like, I was like, oh, <laughs> I mean, he's about my age, so he was a little younger, but anyway, um, <laughs> I was with my dad, so I was like, mm, probably not the best time to be picking some guy up, but... I, you know, he was eating and eating and I was like, he was double fisting it, like hands everywhere, juice dripping down him. And I I dying to pass him a napkin, but he never said anything. And I kept trying to catch his eye and like looking at the napkin. Why don't you just say, do you need a napkin? That would be a really good. So at the very end he finishes and I can tell like it's dripping and he's got food in the corner and the whole thing. And I passed the whole box of napkins to him and he goes, "Mm, no, I don't use napkins. I feel like they're bad for the environment. (sighs) I just use my clothes. Oh, shit started cracking up. I go, really? He goes, I don't give a shit what people think. And I was like, God bless this guy. So is this your boyfriend? Nah, he got up and left. His clothes were dirty. (laughs) Does that bother you? Is that a deal breaker? (laughs) No, but it it was a little intimidating. I got to say somebody who didn't care about any of that. And I was like, well, I obviously don't care so much because I'm out here with my hair looking like this. And he goes, what? Like he looked at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, who gives a shit about your hair? You know, and I was like, God, I'm so shallow. Like, I just was so like, ah. I want you to keep going back to that restaurant. I think this guy is your guy. You can learn a lot from him. I glanced at his phone. He had a picture of another woman on it. So I think maybe he had a girlfriend. He wasn't wearing a ring, but I understand what it's like when you're a little bit feeling insecure and you're around somebody who's not. It's 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 intimidating. And so I get it. It's very, very hard. But you know what? All of us feel the same way. Like, I'm sure he was like, fuck it. Like, his attitude of fuck it was probably him overcoming any insecurities that he has. Because we're all insecure. I
1: don't know. I don't think of myself as someone with social anxiety. Like, I think I'm really like a smooth operator. I think that's why when this happened at Bagel Emporium, I was like, whoa, holy God. Like, I never felt this in middle school. But I feel it now. Like, I wanted to be friends with those women so bad. Like, I really, I did. I, like, tried again. I just felt like the weirdest weirdo.
0: And then I wanted to make up for it. I wanted to win them over or something. I don't really think of you as a people pleaser. But that moment seemed like, it's not really people pleasing. It's just like, just like me. I do think of you as somebody who does want to be liked by everybody. I do. I want
1: to be liked by everybody. And usually, this is going to sound so obnoxious, but usually people do like me because it seems like I don't care. And usually I don't because I'm pretty successful at being liked. But this time (laughs) I was like, no one wanted to hear about my sad stories. They didn't want to hear them. Well, who wants to hear about anybody's sad story right now? I'm so over it. That's why I need to surround my, no, I totally disagree with you. I don't know what I did wrong in that situation, something I need to like keep thinking about it and like, go to therapy or whatever, but I just need to always be in writing class because in writing class, that kind of conversation
0: is completely appropriate. Well, no one's judging you in writing class about like your hair. They're judging you on your writing and what's coming out from inside and how well you're writing it and how revealing you are. And I was so revealing. It's true. And I was too revealing, I think. Well, this also goes back to what I said last month on the last episode when you were like, what? It's like when somebody else has a worse story, I'm like, thank God that's not me. And I just want to hear everything. You know, it depends. Like sometimes I don't want to hear it if it's just a situation and they're bitching and they're not going to do anything about it. But I feel like when you're hearing a story, it's already solved. They're already figuring out why. So to me, that's the difference. Like if you're just going to bitch, please don't. But if you really want to figure out the ending to your story, then I'm willing to help. Well, what I was doing
1: in that moment with the women at Bagel Emporium was I was really trying to to connect on common ground. And I thought here are four women who have 17 year old girls. I can't imagine that those girls are doing okay. So let me tell you how poor, like how bad it is at my house, and then maybe we can like
0: commiserate or connect.
1: That's what I thought I was doing.
0: But then no one joined in to, compl- to complain about their kid. No, not a complaint.
1: I don't know what they were going through. It's possible they were having like a really intense conversation and I busted in, maybe, but the way I felt it was like, whoa, Nelly stop it with your craziness. You're like (laughs) making us need a shower right now. (laughs) Like that was how I walked in feeling like, fuck, sorry. And I think that, Mm. um, that our narrator probably has felt like that. That's her story reminds me of what happened to me.
0: And so I just wish her luck as society opens up. Thank you, Anthea for sharing your story. Anthea Rowan grew up in Tanzania, Africa. She has three kids and says her writing was born by accident. Crap at most things and feeling empty nestish, a friend suggested she write for a local travel mag. A year later, she was published in The Times in London. Rowan says writing saved her life after years of isolation in the African bush. She's working on her first creative nonfiction book. For more, Anthea, visit her at Instagram at anthea underscore Rowan. Her website is anthearowan.com. This episode of Writing Class Radio is produced by Matt Kundle, Andrea Asquitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Justina Chandler. Additional music by Poddington Bear. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love the lessons you get on each episode, you can get them all in one place on our three-part series for 50 bucks. Click Video Classes on our website. And if you want to be part of the movement that helps people better understand each other through storytelling, follow us on Patreon. For $10 a month, Andrea will answer all your publishing questions. For $25 a month, you can get a writing class with me. Join my first draft weekly writers group, where you can write and share your stories every Tuesday, 12 to 1 Eastern time. Join at patreon.com slash writing A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. So look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our story. Everyone has a story. What's yours?